Welcome to Vibrant Visionaries. My name is Heidi Bennett, and this is the gathering place for immensely creative folks to have candid conversations about all their interesting projects. And today's interview or hangout is really special to me because it's with a longtime, old time friend, Anton Barbeau. We talk a lot about our lives in Sacramento back in the 80s and 90s his life in Berlin, Sacramento, and Auburn. We talk a little bit of Ladybird. We talk about my old zine, Teen Meat. And it wouldn't be a conversation about Sack without mentioning old Vince DiFiori, my ex-boyfriend and the cake dude. Okay, let's get into it. All right, everybody, I have a true friend from way back, way back early 80s Sacramento days. I have as a guest today, Anton Barbeau. Welcome, Anton. Hey, I'm happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you on. So we we met up in Auburn, like, I don't know, sometime last year. And we were talking about, you know, new albums that were coming out. And we hadn't caught up in a long time. So this will be a little combination of maybe a little bit of catching up and then a whole lot about about your music and your new albums. Yeah. So what's what's been going on? <laughs> Drinking coffee and watching TV. So we can talk about that for an hour. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we're all a bit, I think, probably a little bit nuts by now from the pandemic. You know, we don't, we, I don't know if we want to even talk about that. <laughs> so for me, what's been going on, I, I lose track sometimes of, of what's been going on because everything is so muddled and mangled these days. But otherwise, I mean, I am just doing what I always do, which is write songs and record songs and make records and find ways of getting those records out. No, no gigging. You know, I, I did I did one gig, no, two gigs last year. One was right here on the farm where I'm living with my wife. That was just weird. And then we did a proper gig at Music Landria in, in Sacramento. And that was a reminder of what it is to do live music and how exciting that can be. And because I think otherwise the pandemic kind of grounded me, you know, I, I was, I'd been touring in, in Europe a lot at where I was living and the pandemic brought me back to California and, you know, set me up with a coffee maker and a television set for, for a long time. So doing the actual gig was, was kind of a thrill. Yeah, I bet. I've, I've had, um, Definitely a lot of coffee and a lot of TV watching <laughs> over the last few years, which isn't so different, but it is. Yeah, it's definitely for a reason. It's it's in lieu of other kind of social situations. Yeah. What's the difference for you as a performer between like when you're in the studio and recording the music and when you're on stage? Does it come out differently? Have you recorded live albums? Anything around those questions? Yeah, I think it's really different. When I'm on stage, it can it can vary from night to night. There's there's a there's an element that I do not have control over, but when I'm on, something something else happens. You know, it changes my personality. I th I think a lot of performers understand that, right? But it, in my case, it it can go any, any direction and I don't have the real control over it. Some, some nights I can be quite funny, you know, <laughs> hopefully maybe sort of surreal elements are creeping in and I'm probably a lot louder on stage and, and kind of obnoxious. Sometimes I, I really get, get sick of myself. I don't want to be that guy, but other, other times it, it really comes together and something kind of creates itself that like I keep 
you know, hinting at, I, I don't feel like I have a, a control over. Whereas when I'm recording, it's all about control. You know, the microphone I'm, I'm speaking into right now is also the one that, that I sing into. And I've got, I've got bits of uh, electrical tape on the floor to show me where my, my feet go so that when I do a vocal at 10 in the morning or a vocal at, at, at five in the afternoon on a Wednesday or on a Friday or whatever, my feet are in the same place. I'm singing into the same microphone and my settings are always the same so I can get a consistent result. There's, there's so much kind of control in recording. And it, I do try more and more to also capture as much performance when I'm recording. I you know try to get the one take kind of thing. But yeah, I can then go in and just micromanage every little scrap <laughs> of sound. And uh, I mean, I love, I love that. It's, it's artistically or creatively incredibly satisfying to do that, to be able to just, you know, nudge things and think, yeah, that's it, that's it. And, but you're still trying to create the feeling of a performance. You still want that recorded piece to feel like it, it's all one. But yeah, the live thing and, and recording are just worlds apart. I, I did one live album years ago and even that was was very clearly designed to to show the seams you know it was cut together from multiple performances the editing was really kind of you know weirdly done on purpose so you'd have the, the song would end and an audience would be applauding from a completely different show with a different you know sonic quality and so i it's not it wasn't any effort to represent a single live performance that's an interesting idea to do that someday if we ever, you know, recording, again, I mean, performing again, but um, it's not my interest. I, I just, I like making records. I like, I like manipulating sound, playing with the listener's attention, I suppose. It was bright and full. I was floating in a pool of my own honesty. In heaven on a cloud, I fell asleep but not too Several hours passed before my eyes could see me songs that you performed in the late 80s and early 90s that still play in my head. So there's something <laughs> amazingly catchy about what you do. What is it that you do? And it may be different in a couple of different albums. What is your participation in the album? Hmm. <laughs> it sort of depends on whether I'm going in, approaching an album with a theme or, or, or something in mind up front, or if it's just another collection of more songs. Because um, like I said, I'm always recording, I'm always writing, and, and it's easy to kind of cobble things together. But I, I'm doing so much of it. 90% of, of what I do is now me on my own in the room that I'm speaking to you from. I, I fly in other performances, you know, people will email me tracks and things like that. And I'll glue that together. But it, everything I'm doing is pretty much the sound of my brain, you know, 
And however much control I, you know, may or may not have over that, somewhere in there is kind of the answer, I guess. Well, let's take that then and run with the album that you were talking about, your double album that's your most personal album and the one that, you know, I can, as I unfolded the artwork inside and everything I started, it started giving me these Sacramento flashbacks and all that. Let's talk about Manbird. What spurred you to do it? And then just anything you want to share about that very personal exploration of, of yourself. Yeah. I mean, it, it, thankfully, you know, for our sake and maybe for the record's sake, it, it had a definite beginning. Uh, I was with Julia in Spain. We were touring. Julia's now my wife. And we were in Spain a few years back on tour. We had a night off. We were in Madrid. We went to go see the film Lady Bird, which of course is uh, set in Sacramento, you know, where I'm from and all that. You know, she's a Catholic girl and I grew up as a Catholic boy. There were so many locations in that film that were absolutely familiar. You know, um, my dad's house is right near the Raven and that features in there. And there's a scene where she's in a post office. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I've, I've been, in, been on mushrooms in that post office, you know, and so forth. So there was so much resonance for me. And so after we, after we saw the film, you know, we went out and I think we were having chocolate somewhere and kind of joking about, you know, oh, we should make a little film called Manbird, you know, in contrast to Ladybird, right? I think, I think a big part of her story in the film is she cannot wait to get out, right? She cannot wait to leave the nest, as, as we say. Whereas I waited forever, right? I was, you know, when we, when we knew each other in town, I was, you know, I was a known figure in our little town, right? I was, I was a big fish in a small nest. So I, took me a long time to really kind of get out. And I think seeing the, that film in Spain, I thought, well, obviously I've left that nest, you know, I, I'm, I'm out in the world and uh, somehow that happened. And, you know, I've, I've lived in Berlin for 10 years and I've lived in the UK for five years, six years uh, before that. So the idea, okay, we're going to, we're, we're going to make a little joking film called man bird. And I'm just, you know, seen walking around my hometown and blah, blah, blah. And that, that turned into, no, you know, dude, you're a songwriter, write some songs, make an album out of this. And I was, I was really living uh, what felt like two lives. I was, I was uh, with Julia here, but still living in Berlin with, with my now ex-wife, you know, we were separated, but I was still having a life over there and back and forth, back and forth. I was touring in Europe and, and, and in the UK, and then I'd come back here and I'd play with my band around town, back and forth, back and forth. And that back and forth was really wearing on me. I, I kind of lived in a state of permanent jet lag because um, I was back and forth so much of the time. And Manbird, it's playing with that theme of what's home? You know, wh where is home? Because if I land in one place, am I there long enough for it to even be home? Was Sacramento home after 10 years in Berlin? So I was kind of, you know, just puzzling over those kind of questions while working on these songs. And meanwhile, just kind of exhausted from always being in an airplane, always being up in the air. So, so the album, it's about, it's about those themes. I'm afraid it sounds a little dull if I put it like that. So it's a very, very exciting album though, you know. Fluttery flags and porous borders, Buzz Aldrin on the moon. What's in the bag? Oh, doctor's orders, twice daily, once by spoon. Here I go, here I go, here I go again Well then go, well then go, go away 
so flies the crow But what about that little robin Companion in the garden The woman below Her maiden name Little initial Did she do well in school This ain't no game This ain't no disco You ain't no dancing fool But I am, but I am It goes back to childhood. The, the first song I ever wrote is a is featured on Manbird. Um, it's integrated into a little version of Greensleeves, which is also a childhood connection. You know, I I, I had a stuffed animal that uh, my dog ate. The stuffed animal was called Green Sleeves because it had a little, you know, wind-up box in it that played, you know, and so I tell, I tell that story in one of the songs. Um, so there's a lot of childhood stuff on the record, talking about my teenage years as a little new wave boy on a moped, and and it was great. I, it something just kind of tapped open, you know. It got it. It, it was an inspired record. I think that's the key for me. When I finally decided that, oh, okay, make an album. Don't don't worry about this film. I knew that I had to write a song called Manbird, and I knew the song had to be good, and it was. It came out. I was I was coming home from physiotherapy. I was in Berlin, walking home from a physiotherapy session, and walking through a park, and it was just a lovely day, and you know, humming, trying to come up with something, and it just happened. And so I, it was you know, I knew that was a good song, and I knew that it set the standard for the rest of the record that the other songs had to aspire to, you know, a similar kind of goodness. You know, I've written a billion songs and and I would like to think that my standards are always getting higher and the quality of the work gets higher. But the the real truth for me, especially as, as uh, demonstrated with the Manbird record, is that inspiration is its own thing. I, I knew that the Manbird record, you know, was coming from some place. You know, whether it's within me or, 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 or from without, I don't know, but it came from an inspired place. I have to say that some of the music I've done since I've released that record has been a real struggle because I have such an image of that inspiration, you know, and the standard too. I, I was, I was writing well and I knew it. And if a song didn't, wasn't good enough, it just didn't want to live on the record. It didn't go there. I had a nice routine. I was, I was a little, little Danish bakery by the canal uh, where I near where I lived in Berlin. I'd go there every day and do my writing. And, um, you know, it's just, it was a fantastic time too. I mean, making that record was really very enjoyable. And yeah, he has a double album. There was a lot of stuff on there. So it covers, it covers, it's kind of meant to be a musical travelogue. It's kind of covering, uh, it's like postcards from everywhere. You know, my life, you know, on tour or living in, in Germany or, or back to Sacramento and so forth. And the people that you had, uh, the musicians that you brought on, that's part of that as well, right? Yeah, certainly. Like Michael Urbano, we know him, you know, from from back home. And I've worked with him on and off over over recent years. But for this record, having him on there was kind of a bigger deal. Because we were Sacramento homeboys. And Don Hawkins from my my very first band, the Joy Boys, um, I brought him on there. We, uh, we, we obviously know Vince, you know. <laughs> and Vince is on... Um, He's on a couple songs, you know, Vince from, from the band Cake. That's, that's well, where the world would sort of know him. But um, one of the songs on this record it, it was written the day after 
my friend Janet died, you know, like my dearest friend for 31 years, you know? And so the day after she died, I wrote, I wrote a song called Dainty, Dainty Beak. Mm. You know, Vince played on that and that, and it meant so much because, and he, you know, he came up here to the farm to record it. And that was cool too. I hadn't seen him in a while. And, you know, Vince knew Janet, not, not well. I mean, you know, you, you, you knew Janet, we, you know, so. Sure. Yeah. You know, she's such a, a huge part of my life. So having Vince, you know, play on that song and the, his, his, his horn parts are just gorgeous and kind of heart wrenching. You know, I knew that, I knew that he would get it, you know, emotionally. And so that was, that was really cool. So, you know, having, having a lot of Sacramento people on there was, was important for me. But then again, I also have the people that I've worked with all over the place are, are on this record too, you know, um, you know, people I, I know in my most recent years in Berlin, um, or, or, or friends from, from the UK that I've, you know, worked with on and off. It's kind of postcards and, and, and Polaroids as well, you know, mm-hmm. photographs, all the, all these different wonderful people that I always feel, um, that that's one of the, the real rewards of my musical career is the people I get to work with. The people that I've been able to kind of collect, you know, over all these years, these, these good people. You know, so much talent. and Yeah, I can definitely relate to that as far as people who I've performed music with, um, written music with and recorded with. And then also people I've podcasted with, too. That's kind of become my this is more my solo album in a way. (laughs) I'm bringing in different creative voices to add layers to it. And I definitely feel very blessed to be able to bring people in wherever they are all over the, all over the globe. Yeah. We're at a point in our lives where we, we know that we've done stuff and been places, right? We, we have enough history that we can really look back and appreciate it, but also, you know, look around right now and think we're still here, you know, we're still here. And it's and that you get to a certain point in your life, think that's kind of a miracle, you know, we've made it. So the, the people around us, those are the prizes, you know, this is a reward for being alive is you get to keep good people close to you and and they inspire you and you hopefully inspire them. And yeah, I love that. We lose people all the time too. Yeah. When Penny passed away, I've been reflecting a lot on my podcast and somebody, I'm going to do a couple of different AMA um, episodes and one of the AMAs, somebody asked me about, you know, my motivations for doing the podcast and how they've changed. And I am really being more introspective this season, thinking more about my own creative journey in my life. And and when I thought about why I started podcasting, part of it had to do with a certain sense of, of loneliness. And Penny will never be replaced, but to continue seeking other fun, creative, quirky, innovative people to talk with. It is like I'm always seeking little parts of her in other people or, you know, to find new connections of um, soul to soul creative weirdoness that, like I said, will never be duplicated. Like my relationship with her it continues in my heart and soul, but I do feel like part of this reaching out to talk with different people is to kind of help fill that hole that's missing because of her, her being gone. Yeah. It honors her, you know, it, it really does. You know, the, all the connections that you make with other people that, that spark, you know, images, and memories of her, that, that just honors her and 
keeps her here. For sure. Yeah, now I get to text with her daughter and <laughs> share <laughs> funny <laughs> photos and stories. Everybody's kids are, you know, real people. Like, wait, how did that happen? <laughs> Penny left me all of her, all of our teen meat magazines. So I'll <laughs> see if I can unearth some, uh, some Anton related teen meat uh, stuff I can share with the listeners. <laughs> the image I have, you've got photographs of me and Janet standing in, in Janet's bathtub, both of us wearing dresses. Totally. <laughs> and pictures of Michael Urbano. Yes, for sure. All that stuff's very rich. It's so resonant to this day. You know, those were moments at the time that we thought were fantastic because they were. And they're still resonant, you know, like, you know, I, I remember that. Yeah. I remember going, meeting up with you, speaking of Ladybird, going to the park and meeting up with you. And, and I was there with events. It was William Land Park. So it was right near that house, that iconic home that, that she, I think, pretends when she's <laughs> young that she, <laughs> she lived in uh, that blue house. I think it is. Yeah. I remember we were sitting there uh, in the park, just smoking weed and hanging out and and those are like simple little things that i uh, i don't ever really smoke weed anymore but just those I, that idea of just like hanging out with people seems so novel right now right with still the pandemic continuing but it's so important to remember to just do really simple just hang out things i think that as we get older sometimes that can be something that i you know forget to do but just just leisure time right just just chilling out but I remember we we smoked and I was really high. And then on our way home, I was looking at somebody's license plate. And in my head, and especially because California, there's a lot of those vanity plates mm -hmm. in my head. I was so out of it. I just kept trying to work out what this vanity plate meant. What was it say? What did this combination of letters and numbers mean? <laughs> Finally, I just realized. Oh, it's not a vanity plate. It's just a regular <laughs> old license plate. <laughs> but I was positive there was some deeper meaning in it. <laughs> That's good. You know, it's funny though. Is like for me, I, I, I think hanging out with people is like the idea now is. I mean, not not just because of the pandemic. I think even before the pandemic, because I I remember, you know, I remember being in my 20s and just, yeah, what did you do all day? I just hung out with people all day. You know, how did I get music done? I, I don't know, but. Yeah, yeah. And especially in Sacramento um, and, other you know, I know there's other cities out there that are so walkable. But in Sacramento, we lived in this place where we rode our bikes or walked or took the bus everywhere. Even if we had cars, it was so easy to hop on a bike or walk. And I never, I mean, I never drove. I got my driver's license down here in the Bay Area. So that whole time, just like, yeah, you're walking to a coffee shop. This is pre-coffee house, but just, yeah, going to that Caro's and getting coffee or splitting uh, French fries at a Denny's and then walking to the park. And then, you know, as we got older, go of course, walking to the clubs and going to the bars and I remember when I moved to, to Alameda, that was a big shock for me. Even though it's a walkable place, I was used to those 
the Rubicon where you're walking by and you go, oh, my friends are hanging out here in the, you know, in the front area and you just stop and then you have a beer and then all that leisure time, even with working or doing whatever else you're doing creatively, just hours and hours of like, oh, I guess I'm ending up at the press club tonight. <laughs> and It's been six hours since I got off work and so many adventures. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, a funny, funny contrast for me between my life in, in Berlin and my life in Auburn now, you know, in Berlin, I, I didn't drive, you know, it just same, same as we, what we were describing in Sacramento. And you, know, you just go out here on a bike or you're just, you know, in Berlin, I might take a train somewhere, but otherwise just walking around. I loved walking and loved, loved leaving, leaving the apartment, going down the stairs. You might run into one of your neighbors and say, you know, hello, you know, it's just such a, it was all so alive and, and stepping out and into the city, just doing your shopping was exciting because, you know, it, in Berlin, I go down to the, the grocery store, I might, I might see Jay Masses from Dinosaur Jr. or something like that. You know what I mean? It's, very that kind of you know, the word vibrance, right? Mm -hmm. And and but just being able to to move. And I'm a pretty lazy guy, but in, in Berlin, I loved being out and I loved walking around and just you know hours spent doing that. And here, it's really weird. I live on a farm in the city limits, but it's it is a farm. In order to go anywhere, you, you have to hop in the car, you know. And if I do, I I could walk to a coffee shop here, but there aren't sidewalks. So you're kind of, you got cars going, going by. And it's a really weird head trip. I, I, you know, the contrast from being somewhere where I was just, I felt so open and could move, literally just move as I wanted. And here, got to get in that damn car. And it's, I don't like that. I definitely, I definitely miss that about Berlin for sure. But even, you know, even at my dad's house in Sacramento, there's, you know, it's, there's enough of a neighborhood that I can go out and, you know take that walk and, and land somewhere and run into somebody that I remembered from 20 years ago, you know? So Alameda was funny for me though. I think maybe we talked about this when I met up with you, but uh, I lived there briefly in 96, you know, I was kind of getting over a little heartbreak and, and my grandmother said, well, you know, come, come, come stay with me, you know? So I, I lived at her place on Bay Farm Island and that's remote enough that you had to drive there. And my grandmother had given me this van, this minivan. And so I drove this thing that looked like a, space shuttle or something or no, not the space shuttle. what am i thinking of the, the shuttlecraft from um star trek that's what i was thinking of <laughs> and, and i couldn't go anywhere in alameda without you know getting in the car and, and bay farm island was such a at the time it felt like a retirement community so it was a really weird life for me to be living um but you know it had its perks uh some friends uh would come up from sacramento and bring bring pot brownies or something like that so i had a i had a stash of brownies that lasted me a couple months and then you know, take brownies and eat brownies and then go down to the, watch the sunset and things like that and come back and watch Elvis movies with my grandmother. You know. <laughs> anyway, having, having been to Alameda recently, a few times in recent years, it's, an, it's amazing how that place has changed. I really love it now. And I did not like it at all when I lived there, but it's fantastic now. Um, it's so cool. There's all those lagoons and because you can go and observe you know, the birds and people are probably <laughs> sick of hearing about this but there's like turkeys and i see the black crown night heron and the snowy egrets and and all these birds and so my family's always been a bunch of bird watchers and i've never really gotten into bird watching but now i'm just like 
oh, there's a cormorant. Oh, there's a, you know, <laughs> it's been really fun to to go over and uh, walk around on Bay Farm because it's so tranquil. And I really, yeah, I feel a sense of uh, of calm and relaxation and connection to nature over there. And so it's been really fun. You know, birds have become one of the the funny themes of, of my life too. There's when I lived in England, I actually lived on a, on a street called Birdwood, Birdwood Road. And every day would just out the back window, you know, we had, we had bird feeders. And so we had a lot of, a lot of different uh, characters showing up, little tiny wrens. And, um, had a, I think it was a sparrow hawk once that came and killed a pigeon and ate it in the, on the back lawn, wow. and, you know, all kinds of, all kinds of birds. And, um, that's where I came to understand the, 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 the sort of beauty of the English robin. And, you know, cause our American robins are sort of these big, proud, you know, <laughs> uh, prisoners kind of birds and the English robin, these, they're, they're about half the size and they're just, they're little friends. You know, I would, I was sort of trying to do gardening at Birdwood. So I'd be out there chopping stuff away and digging stuff up and a little robin would just hang out with me. Of course, he's, you know, hoping for worms that are being dug up. But it was amazing to, to sort of feel how friendly the English robin could be. You know, you look down, he'd just be between your feet and hopping about and just, you know, magic, really. Let's talk about what you've got coming up in March. We have a new album and also uh, something else you worked on? Yeah, yeah. So my next record coming out, the album is called Power Pop. It is kind of my pandemic record, which is funny because after Manbird came out, I had another record come out, you know, within six months or a year called Oh, The Joys We Live For. And all the reviews of the Oh, The Joys We Live For thought, oh, this is his follow-up to Manbird. And it's an album of domestic bliss, lockdown. He's in, he's on, he's living on a farm during the pandemic with his, with his partner, Julia. And isn't this beautiful? And, and it was, we just kind of went along with the narrative because that was in the, the press release. But the truth was that 99% of that record was finished before the pandemic. And, and the songs are written all, you know, all over the place. It's not about lockdown. It's not about domestic bliss on the farm. I mean, some of the songs are, but um, it was funny that that got branded as my, my pandemic album, whereas the this power pop record is that pandemic record. It's grumpy. <laughs> it's a very it's kind of a cynical record in some ways. Um, the theme power pop. I mean, it's a genre that I'm always kind of tied to, but it's a genre that I I really kind of despise. You know, I mean, I love jangly, catchy pop songs. I live for that, but the power pop genre is so self-limiting, you know, it's, it's a very fear-based, you know, form of music, you know, <laughs> we're just you know, afraid that, uh, you know, somebody might have drugs and we might have, you know, <laughs> you know. it's the it, power pop to me is a very sexless and drugless kind of, kind of, you know, musical form. And so I wrote, I wrote an album knowing, and it's coming out on the Bigster label and, and that's, they are primarily a, a power pop label. I'm like, Tambourine is trying to. Your tambourine is ready to make its debut on Vibrant Visionaries. Well, I moved it from one mic stand to another, but now I'm tapping my foot um, on the one that it's. Anyway, um, I digress. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. So anyway, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, it's coming out soon on a power pop label. And it's oh, it's so ironic. Um, I, I think it's a cool record. It's got um, one, one highlight for me is that I got Donald Ross Skinner to play on it. And he, I, I'm a huge Julian Cope fan. And there's there's also a song on the album called Julian Cope. I, I got to tour with Julian in 2011 and 2012 on, on his UK tours. And, you know, he's a, he's a hero. So Donald Ross Skinner was his kind of right-hand man for, for years and years and produced some of Julian Cope's, you know, best records, an amazing musician. And so he played on, on the title track for Power Pop. And I'm just so thrilled about that. Like, I've got Donald Ross Skinner on my record. That's cool, you know? And otherwise, it's a, it's a, just a kind of a mess of, of sounds and styles, as, as, as is my way. But it does have some of the songs that maybe you're even uh, uh, thinking about. So I, I've re, reworked some of the songs that I wrote as a teenager in the eighties, I put them on this record kind of feeling like these are good songs. They've really stood the test of time. And I started off in music doing, you know, synth pop and the people who know me know my music probably think of me as more of a guitar guy, but uh, I was really happy to do, you know, some new versions of these old synth pop tunes because I kind of feel like I'm the caretaker for my songs these days. I, I'm, you know, I don't, I'm always trying to, make a career happen or make a career move forward, right? Aren't we all? But I think these are good songs that they, they need to be out in the world. And, and so I've re-recorded some of these teenage synth pop tunes and stuck them on the power pop record and hooray for that. Yeah, for sure. I was just yeah. thinking, let's see if my memory <laughs> and your memory serve anything oh. that's even close to the truth. I remember going to see Robin Hitchcock in San Francisco and I got to go, well, it wasn't quite the green room, but it was basically like the balcony because Jessica Luther, who I'm old, old, old friends with from Grass Valley, and uh, she was living in San Francisco and had connections to be able to get us backstage, quote unquote. Uh -huh. And so I remember now, did we do that together? Or could, because I remember her being able to introduce, my memory was that she was able to like introduce you to Robin Hitchcock. It's all coming back, isn't it? <laughs> Somehow you said, hey, do you want to go meet them? And I said, yes. Because that was, yeah, that was the first time I'd ever seen uh, Robin Hitchcock and the Egyptians and, and, and Game Theory opened. So this is all going to tie together. Perfect. Yeah, you, that's right. You, you got me upstairs and I don't know that I was introduced to anybody. I, was, I remember myself just kind of, I mean, I, I was just standing there and kind of like, you know, I'd been brought upstairs and I, I don't know if we were still hanging out upstairs or if you were with her or whatever, I don't remember the, the scenario exactly, but I do remember there's Morris Windsor, the drummer, right? And I said, Oh, I, uh, hello. <laughs> um, so I, I met Morris and I gave him my tape back to Balmain. And then I, then there's Andy Metcalf, the bass player. Oh, hi, you're great. That was great. Oh, thank you very much. You know, and I give him my tape and, and then there's Peter Buck from REM who'd been sitting in with, with the band and, I thought, oh, I'm not a big REM fan. So I, got, <laughs> I only had one more tape to give out. So I'm like, I walked over to Robin Hitchcock and said, oh, yeah, it was great. It was really cool. Here, here's my tape, you know. And he says, um, oh, yeah, I remember you. You're from the insect heads. Uh. <laughs> and I didn't know if he was putting me on or, or, or what. And, um, but uh, who, was, who was he with? Uh, a DJ from, um, oh, it's not going to come to me right now. But anyway. You know, she's like, oh my God, I love your stuff. You're great. I'm like thinking, who do they think I am? I don't know who they think I am, but I don't know who I am, but this is great. Here's my tape, you know? And so yeah, that was just 
it was a huge night, right, for me to, to, besides seeing them, to actually meet them. So thank you very much. Thank you very much for that. And I also connected to Scott Miller uh, as a result of, of that gig. I, Scott Miller from, from Game Theory at the time, you know, who, who were one of the opening bands. Mm-hmm. I, I passed a tape on to Joe Becker and Joe gave it to Scott and Scott called me up a few days later and left me, you know, the answering machine message as, you know, as we did in those days. And, you know, hey, uh, this is Scott Miller. Uh, a friend of mine gave me your tape, thought it was really cool. And, uh, you know, give me a call sometime. And so that led to a friendship with Scott Miller from, you know, uh, Game Theory and, and later Loud Family. That's the other release that I've got in March is a record that I made with Scott called What If It Works. And it's being, we, we it came out in 2006 originally. And it's being reissued on Omnivore um, with loads of bonus tracks and all that, you know, proper treatment. And, you know, we lost Scott uh, a few years back. Uh, he, he took his own life and, you know, just don't know what to say about that. You know, just still still think about this guy all the time. And, and so doing, uh, doing the, re, the reissue has been really good for me because it, it means I get to relive, I get to retell the story, all my stories of Scott. Of how, how I knew him, how you know what it was like to work with him, and so yeah, it's really it's really cool that that record's coming out, and um, and I mean the funny thing is I yeah so as a result of that meeting a billion years later, not only did I meet the guys from you know I met Robin and the Egyptians and and then later Scott Miller because of that night, but uh, I also formed a band with uh, uh, Andy and Morris, you know, with former former Egyptians, and so I had a band in England called Three Minute Tees for a few years. Um, and I think the first recording we ever did as Three Minute Tees also included Scott Miller playing guitar as a guest. So it's really weird to kind of watch all these things kind of tie back together. But that's life too, isn't it? You know, that's that's the thing. But Absolutely. Oh, wow. That's so cool. <laughs> that's so awesome. I totally like, I really hadn't even until just sitting here remembered that and it just started i just started as you were talking i started thinking oh robin hitchcock and that show and then yeah i remember sitting with peter buck at a table and i was a big rem fan but i just really didn't have anything to say you know i didn't have a tape to pass him or anything so i just hey i just sat there and had a drink and kind of was like all right i'm sitting around these cool people you know but it was uh it was a wonderful show, I remember. Yeah. Isn't it crazy? Though? I mean, you, you, you untangle something like that. And for, for me, anyway, for my life and career, that night, seeing Game Theory with Robin Hitchcock and the Egyptians, it absolutely turned out to be a life changer. And it's funny, too, because, the, the like I said, the one or two of the songs that were on the tape that I gave all those people are coming out on my on the Power Pop record. Those are the, you know, the songs that I've re-recorded. So... On one hand, I would like to think that, you know, I've had a rich life and, and all kinds of groovy things have, have happened. But on the other hand, I'm thinking, wait, suddenly I'm, I'm just releasing material that I already released, you know, a hundred years ago. <laughs> you know, I promise I've evolved. I've grown. I've changed. I swear, you know. Uh, no, I think that's a cool, a really cool circle of events. And then adding, you know, the, um, I almost said bird boy, uh, adding <laughs> whatever it's called. <laughs> That combination uh, um, and the album you put out in, in between, I've really been enjoying listening to that one, too. So I guess I'm just going to let everybody know that in the show notes, I'll share links so that you can check out all this music. And I know you have videos available as well. 
Um, anything else you want to mention before we call it a day? Oh man. Um, probably, but I have no idea what it is. At least you're asking me at the end of this, this conversation. <laughs> I've got no more coffee. I have no more ideas. I, I've got a lava lamp. <laughs> My tambourine says hi. Let's uh, hear a little more from your tambourine before we take off. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks so much for connecting up and uh, maybe we can go do a little bird watching again sometime when it's safe to do so. Yeah. Great to hang out with you. I mean, it was great to see you, you know, when we when we met up last year and, uh, you know, great to be able to kind of do this here because it does feel like we're just chatting. Well, because we are just exactly. chatting, but, you know, <laughs> so much of what we do is trying to create a presentation, you know, and put our, put our thing out there and, and, uh, and then sell it or whatever, you know, paint it purple and, and sell it and everything. And so it's nice to just, you know, the truth is that we're just hanging out. You know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I've been looking forward to doing this ever since we connected up. And it's nice to know, like when we hung out in Auburn, I was just like, oh, my old buddy Anton, you know, it's just been, it's been too long. So it's really nice to feel like, oh, there's, there's just um, someone that I've known forever and had, um, you know, adventures with a long time ago. We're still the same folk. Yeah, yeah. We can still just connect up and hang out. Yeah, yeah. We're here, you know. I am glad. I'm so glad we're here. That's a wrap. <laughs> Thank you, Heidi. Edit, cut. Cut and paste. Just like teen meat. Just like the olden days. Uh, we'll see you at Kinko's, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening to Vibrant Visionaries. My name is Heidi Bennett, and you can find out more about me over at HeidiBennett.com. Subscribe to the podcast, join our Patreon, and hang out with us on Discord over at VibrantVisionaries.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you to David Smith for helping edit this podcast. And ciao for now!